Good morning. So my boys recently learned something new about one of their own family members. Uh, a lot of you might know my nephew, Alex Reif. Uh, my boys just discovered his first name is not Alex. Their minds were completely blown that his name is Taylor Alexander. And he has just gone by Alex most of his life. And why not? Alexander is such a strong name. Right. As a matter of fact, uh, King Alex of Macedon is known throughout history, not as King Alex of Macedon. He's known as Alexander the Great. That's pretty impressive. Like when you're known as the Great, right, by most of the entire educated world, known as the Great, like 10 people know me and I'm just Doug. And if I'm Doug the anything, <laughs> it's never positive. <laughs> Stop filling in the blank. You're right, right now, it's the most sermon notes I've seen written down in this entire series. You're filling in the blank. <laughs> Alexander the Great became king at age 20 and had conquered much of the known world. By age 30, from Greece to India, he was undefeated in his military reign. Undefeated. Kind of like Oklahoma was before yesterday. Sorry. Listen, misery loves company, guys. Welcome to the party. Alexander the Great was so great, his personal tutor until age 16 was Aristotle. It's quite the resume. That's pretty great. So where did this greatness come from? I want to contrast two historical figures, actually not Alexander the Great, actually his dad. King Philip of Macedon II. King Philip raised a great son and was a good king in his own right. He's just not known as Philip the Good. <laughs> Historically, one of the things that we know about King Philip is that he had a servant who had a single job description, his full-time job. It was to stand in his presence every day and from time to time to say, Philip, you will die. Not King Philip, not Sir Philip, not please don't execute me for telling you this, Philip. He told the king, it was his job, like his job description was say these four words often, Philip, you will die. He wanted to live with an awareness that each moment is a gift. Each, each decision has consequences in this short little thing called life. Philip you will die. So that's the one contrast. Here's the extreme other example. Another king who's known historically as the great. That is King Louis the Great. King Louis was the king of France. King Louis the 14th. He was the king of France for 72 years and 110 days. Those 110 days matter. 
Because that makes him the longest ruling monarch of a sovereign country in all of human history. That's pretty great. He accomplished a lot of great things in his life as well. But he also had a rule about the idea of death. It was the opposite rule of King Philip. He made a formal royal decree that the word death was not allowed to be spoken in his presence. From frequently being told, Philip, you will die, King Louis never wanted the word death to be spoken in his presence. And I just wonder today, do you resonate a little more Philip-ish or Louis-ish? Do we face the reality of the brevity of life, the gift of life, or would we rather live in denial to such a thing as death? What's interesting about King Louis is on his deathbed, he told his predecessor, his nephew, these words, do not follow the bad example which I have set for you. Do not imitate me. And I think that's good advice. I think it's not worth imitating to pretend like death is not a thing. The reality is this, and this is the whole heart of everything I want to say today. Uh, today. If we deny our future hope after death, then we, desire, uh, we deny ourselves present peace in this life. If we deny ourselves the future hope after death, we deny ourselves present peace in this life. The old country song says everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. I believe there is hope and joy and peace when we think on what God has prepared for us. So please grab your Bibles if you would again this morning. We're going to say our creed together. If you're a guest today, don't feel an obligation to join within this if this is not where you're at in your spiritual journey. But if it is, then we want to invite you to say this along with us. Even if you're worshiping online and at home, say this out loud wherever you are. If you're in a copy shop, maybe just say it kind of quietly right now. That might be a little bit weird. But let's hold up our Bibles and let's declare this with some conviction this morning. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. We're going to turn back again to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. So we have these two extreme historical examples. King Philip, King Louis. Here's a uh, on the street right here present with us example. Uh, last weekend, we had the fall carnival here at Temple Christian School. One of the items in the silent auction uh, was a generously donated uh, end-of-life planning, estate planning consultation with our very own attorney, Steve Turkett. And exactly zero people bid in the silent auction <laughs> for estate planning. If that is not the perfect example... Of how in denial we live. To the fact that our estate needs a plan. There is such a thing as death. So before that depresses us too much. 
Let's look at the text this morning. Revelation 21, verse number 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, as heavenly as it was, and the first earth, as good as it was, had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That is the new place, the actual place on earth where we believe God will establish the future heaven. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, not his angels, not his robots, not his spirits. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's the new presence. The presence of God fully revealed among his very real people. In verse number four, this is the new piece that we're going to talk about today. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And then here's where we're going to spend most of our time together this morning. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things so new that there won't be death anymore. That's really new. Also, he said, Write this down. These words are trustworthy in a world full of things that are not worthy of our trust. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. We're going to talk about that without payment in a little bit. But for now, we'll circle back to verse number four. Death shall be no more. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. I've, I've said this in years past, so maybe you've heard me say this before, but in the human existence, nothing is more permanent than death. Almost everything we experience in life is seasonal and temporary. In the happiest moments we've ever experienced, a piece of us has said, this is going to end soon. And in the worst moments we've ever experienced, a piece of us has said, this is going to end soon. Because pretty much everything we've experienced in life has had a life cycle to it. Sometimes we wish it didn't in the good things, and sometimes we're really glad it does in the difficult things. Except for death. There's this piece of us that expects that loved one to show back up in the story because people come and people go. Moments come and moments go. And there's something as the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve that just waits for death to not be so permanent. And that's why it, it's such a shock to our system. The permanence. The permanence. 
of death. And the most permanent thing that we experience is temporary in the economy of God. (laughs) Death will die. Death shall be no more. The final enemy to be destroyed is death. Hallelujah. The younger we are, the healthier we are, the more oblivious we are to the disease that we all carry called humanness, called mortality. The current death rate is 100% if you're keeping score. Now, those of us who believe in the Bible, we believe some people kind of didn't totally face death, but they did leave this life. So from that perspective, even God died. Very much completely died. Otherwise, the resurrection wouldn't be a resurrection. Death is batting a thousand. And if you don't get sports references, that's really good. Or bad, in our case. So, every single second, the math is, a little over a second, two people enter into eternity. Right around every second, a little bit more than a second, two people step into eternity. The math is 107 people per minute. Every hour, somewhere around 6,400 people face death. Happy Sunday morning. Here's why that's such a big deal. For those of us who believe all of the Bible and not just the convenient parts, that means that we believe that around 150,000 people a day step into first heaven or first hell. 150,000 people a day. It is reality. And we can be as Louis E., as we want to, and pretend that it doesn't exist. Or maybe be as Philip-y as we want to, and be constantly reminded of it. And the reality is, if Jesus doesn't come back, we will experience that moment. And to live in denial of that robs us of the peace of the God who's a death conqueror. We've been forced to think about death maybe more than ever before lately. It, it was so strange. Like a, a year ago, a little more than a year ago, we were still getting daily death updates about COVID. Have we already forgotten that? Our attention span is so short. Like some of you probably signed up for the text notification of that. Others of you just looked it up or you had the email maybe being sent to you. Like as a society, we were getting daily death updates from COVID-19. We've been forced to face the reality of how fragile this thing is called life. And for some of us, we've actually said goodbye to people that we've loved our whole lives in the last several months. Recently, my boys said to me, they said, so many people have died lately. As though that's uncommon. 
And I told them, I, I had already written this sermon, so I'm like, no, 150,000 people a day die every day, whether you're aware of it or not. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Just trying to... That's not an exaggeration at all. That's literally what happened. <laughs> the reality is we've just seen the reality of it. A little more clearly in these days, and here's why I think that's good news. As the one who follows the one who calls himself truth, anytime we step into truth, it's good for our souls. Randy Alcorn said, God uses suffering and impending death to unfasten us from this earth and to set our minds to the glory of what lies beyond. So another king, neither Alexander nor Philip nor Louis, King David said this prayer, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You've made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. So what's the conclusion to that? To live in denial, to be disappointed in that? Verse 7 of Psalm 39, he says, And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. <laughs> the, the reality of the, the fragile nature of life is rescued by the authority of a death-defeating God. That's our hope. Here's the extent of this peace that we wait for, this peace that we long for, even death will be undone. Even death shall be no more. That's the extent of this peace. So I want you to think about how far has the effects of the curse reached our life? There's the fall of man and then all of the world is under a curse, right? The awesome song that we only sing at Christmas, even though it's technically actually not a Christmas song, Joy to the World. The Lord has come because every time he comes, there's joy. There's a lyric farther in that song that says, no more let sin or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground, because he comes to make his blessings flow. Where? As far as the curse is found. Everything in life that's been touched by the curse will experience the favor, the blessings, the healing, the goodness of God. Even death. <laughs> death shall be no more. This is the promise over and over again of, 
of every prophetic whisper looking forward to, to what Jesus would accomplish, what the Messiah, the coming Savior would accomplish is he, he would usher in the, the journey towards this great peace that would defeat death. And as, as the prophets prophesy about this coming death-defying peace, there's this one whisper of this peace in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. It says, the Lord, Yahweh, God himself will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. I have no idea what either one of those things are, but they are farming utensils. That's how far international peace will reach. We will melt down our AR-15s into farming equipment. Some of you are like, that doesn't sound like heaven. (laughs) Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Peace will finally come. Global, all-encompassing, international peace. Here's the amazing irony of this verse, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. The amazing irony of that verse is it is beautifully inscribed on a big stone wall in the Ralph Bunch Park across First Avenue in New York City, across from the United Nations Plaza. This kind of peace is beyond the capabilities of the United Nations. Only God himself can bring this kind of peace. The extent of this peace is it it destroys death and it brings healing to the nations. Here's another description of this peace. As we continue to read in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11 tells us that on that great day, when this new earth is finally the new reality, it says that the wolf and the lamb will live together. So last week we had the theology of Tom and Jerry. This week we have the theology of Wiley Coyote. So you know the cartoon where Wiley Coyote and the sheepdog go and they clock into work? Right? And then the sheepdog goes and sits down on the edge of the cliff. And Wiley Coyote tries to go eat a sheep. Right? And then at the end of the day, they walk back and clock out. See you tomorrow, Ralph. And they're friends again. There will be a day when Wiley Coyote and the sheepdog and the sheep will be friends. How great is that? The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and calf will lie down together. The lion will eat like a cow. And this gets weird. The baby will play safely near the nest of a cobra. 
This is when we're perfected and glorified. That just sounds like bad parenting. (laughs) This new peace is so glorious and all-encompassing that even the animal kingdom and nature itself will become peaceful. (laughs) How crazy is that? That's the extent of this piece. And then we read in Isaiah chapter 65 that in this new reality, people will build houses that have no weeping and crying in them. We'll have homes full of peace. That's the extent of this peace. And I got to tell you, in this moment of criticism in our culture, that just sounds otherworldly. That just sounds gloriously good to me. In this moment where people with no information have such strong opinions, in this moment where people full of skeletons in their closet are so quick to cast blame towards others, We have the promise that peace is coming. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then the first request of the prayer is, your kingdom come. Not take us to your kingdom. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And some of you have heard me preach and teach on the Lord's Prayer before. Theologian uh, William Carl says that, that in the Greek, it actually begins with heaven and then moves to earth. What, what's translated in all the English translations is on earth as it is in heaven. But what's in the original text is actually as in heaven, so on earth. The text starts with there and comes here because that's the point of it all. God, we invite your kingdom of peace to rule and reign. We invite your will. That's the extent of the peace that is our promise, that is our birthright, that is our heritage. That's the extent of this peace. But there's never been peace experienced on earth that was not costly. The reason that we have a holiday called Veterans Day is because peace in this life is always costly. Right? Jesus says that the, this moment will be the fulfillment of the promise that those who are thirsty will drink from the springs of the water of life Without payment. But make no mistake, it was costly. The payment is free to us, but it was not free to Him. The expense of this peace was His own suffering. So so back to our, our text for this morning, verse number four He will wipe away every tear from their eyes 
The night that Jesus was betrayed, after breaking bread, he went out to the garden to pray. He took his two best friends, Peter, James, and John. And this is what he told them. My soul is very sorrowful. The reason that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes is because he alone has earned the right through his grief on our behalf to wipe away our tears. The grief that he endured for us. By the way, notice, I think this is important to be honest about, notice that there will be tears for a moment. It doesn't say there will be no tears. It says he will wipe them away. Because if we have a fully developed theology, we do not just believe in heaven. We also believe in eternal separation from God as well. And we can't face the reality of that day and there not be tears. But because he was very sorrowful, even to death, he will wipe away all tears. Then it says, death shall be no more. So back to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53 says that, that this coming Messiah would be crushed for our iniquities. Literally would be ground into pieces is the Hebrew picture of crushed there. The reason that death shall be no more is because he died our death. Neither shall there be mourning. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And no more crying because he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And no more pain because by his wounds we are healed. That same passage says that the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. For us to experience this glorious new peace, it demanded his tears to wipe away our tears. It demanded his death to remove our death. It demanded his mourning to remove our mourning. It demanded his crying to remove our crying. And it demanded his pain and to remove our pain. And our hope of peace today is in direct proportion to the lengths he would go to save us. To rescue us and to redeem us and to restore us. And if he faced all of that on our behalf then that means he'll fulfill every other promise for our future too. It means he's trustworthy. And so the future peace is not just that there won't be pain anymore. It's that we'll finally understand the pain he endured to set us free from pain. Ultimately, this text is not about our new place. Ultimately, it's not about whether we'll know our loved ones or not. Ultimately, this is all about Jesus. 
It's all about the Savior. It's all about Him taking His rightly earned place on the throne of God where we join with all of creation and sing with one voice, salvation belongs to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It is all about Him. He Himself, Ephesians 2 says, is our peace. If we deny the reality that life is fragile, if we deny the reality that there's such a thing as death, then we deny ourselves the present peace that we follow after a God who's already got this. He's conquered death itself. This future promise of a new place and a new presence and a new peace offers us present peace. Because what that means is I'm not defined by just this moment. If this life is not all there is, then I'm not just defined by this life. And I don't know about you, but I find that to be really good news. Because that means I'm not defined by my greatest failures. That means I'm not defined by my greatest fears by my worst tendencies, by my biggest regrets. It means I'm not defined by my bank account or my reputation or my popularity. I'm not defined by my confidence or by my image. I'm not defined by my successes. It means I'm ultimately defined by the one who laid down his life to rescue me. My identity is rooted in him. My peace is not just found in the here and the now. I live for something greater. So I want you to imagine that you're working in retail and it's Christmas time. Because some of you work in retail and it's almost Christmas time. First job I ever had, I worked at Walmart in the electronics department during Christmas seasonal time. Wow, did I learn a lot about humanity. I want you to imagine that you're 60 seconds away from clocking out. You're checking out your last customer. And man, he's grumpy. And man, he's complaining about everything. And he's griping about every price on every ticket item that you scan. He's complaining about the cleanliness of the store. He's talking about politics while you're just trying to check out his Xbox for his spoiled brat kid. And you're like, dude, come on. But in your mind, you know, I'm fixing the clock out. I can handle this. I'm almost done. I've made it to the end of another hard day. Every difficulty and trial that we face in this life, we kind of get to go, this isn't all there is for me. I'm going to be okay. Like what Jesus endured on my behalf has secured a future promise and a future hope that puts every temporary intermediate struggle into a whole new focus. Which means it's not just future peace. That offers present peace. We live for bigger than just now. If you don't know for sure that you've ever accepted the work of Jesus on your behalf, I can't think of a better time 
than right now today to say, I'm going to have a conversation with somebody about a relationship with Jesus. He's paid so high a price. And I'd encourage you not to refuse that gift. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing one last song about heaven. And while we do, there will be some men and women in the prayer room in the back. We'd love to have a conversation with you. If you're worshiping online, you can text 94,000, text PrayFW to 94,000. We'd love to have a conversation with you because we just believe there's peace offered right here, right now, through the work of Jesus. We're absolutely, maniacally convinced the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. On the authority of the death defeater, the best is yet to come.